You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're going to be taking a look at a new series here on Fusion Patrol. But before we do that, I want to explain how we got to this series. Oh, good. Yes. (laughs) Well, try to explain how we got to this series. For starters, um, as you know, may or may not know, but presumably you know, we have done shows like Moonbase 3 and Star Cops. And somewhere in my reading on Wikipedia, I ran across some information that said that basically Star Cops was the last BBC science fiction effort until they picked up with Bugs in 1995, which is several years down the line. Now, I kind of pride myself on having for an American, a a pretty good knowledge of British science fiction. And I had never heard word one about the existence of bugs. And I will tell you that I know little more than that now because I have done zero research on it. However, when I saw that article, I mentioned it to Simon and I said, so apparently this thing called bugs and and Simon's response was something along the lines and I don't have the exact words but it was like oh bugs yes we should do bugs or something along those lines but definitely was like so I know you know of the show <laughs> in I, advance I, I, I okay. know I know of the show okay I even have a little bit of familiarity for the show okay because I remember watching it when it first went out and um i mean obviously i don't think you'd spotted it but i'd already put it on the 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 list of shows that i think that we should do for fusion patrol oh okay for for the for the reason that is as follows well no there there are probably several reasons um why it had why it had resurfaced in my memory one is um listeners may recall if you've been around a while that i have uh, more than a passing fondness for the TV show The Avengers, <laughs> and the uh, kind of key key player in The Avengers, uh, certainly in the in the later years, is is uh, Brian Clement, who wrote a lot of the episodes and became a producer on the show, and created the spin off series The New Avengers. And Brian Clemens is a is a key figure in the creation of of, of Bugs, and okay. also a a writer on the show. So there there was that. There was also separately the the fact that I became quite interested in the writer Stephen Gallagher largely because I have a you know continuing uh, every, basically every time I watch Warriors Gate I just think wow this is really good. Um and uh, and I like Terminus as well and I think goodness me what else has this man done and I don't know most of it. I mean, I certainly would like to see Eleventh Hour at some point, but I noticed that one of the things he contributed quite a lot to was bugs. So I was also interested in seeing it from that point of view. So I, I will say, I you know, I have not tried to do anything. I I looked up the IMDb entry on it 
to get some of the names right uh, for the episode. But uh, apart from that, I am absolutely without clue as to... I When I went into this episode, I had not the slightest idea of what it was about. I assumed that it was about killer bugs from outer space. But... You know, having watched it now, I, I'm I'm getting a better feel for it. So, uh, but I do not know anything that comes after this point. So anyway, so we will start with our look at Bugs, episode one, Out of the Hive. See, Alien Bugs, the Hive. It, it all makes, it all makes perfect sense. Secret Agent Ballantyne meets with helicopter pilot Ed Russell. They need to deliver an important piece of kit to a secret organization known as the hive it's top secret and the fate of the world might hinge upon its safe delivery to the hive it's not as top secret as they hoped though because they are soon pursued by another helicopter intent on forcing them to land and surrender the device some keen flying and gun shooting from ed saves the day and the device sacros is delivered to the hive ballantine is worried how did someone know about the delivery of sacros Sacros is a device that can intercept and shut down any satellite transmission. In the wrong hands, it would be very, very bad. Ballantyne is on the case. He's found the car of the woman who was attempting to get Sacros and placed a tracer on it. He calls fellow Hive agent Nick Beckett. He doesn't know who to trust, since someone in the Hive must be a leak. While he talks to Nick on the phone, the woman approaches him and kills him. Nick isn't sure what happened, but he takes the recording of the call to his boss, Cottrell. Cottrell will bring it to the attention of Alan, the security guy. Nick tries calling his special high-tech nerd, but gets someone else, Roz, who has apparently taken over the high-tech nerd at the end of the phone business, and the phone number. He wants her to analyze the tape and pull out any audio clues to help figure out what happened. He arranges to meet her later with the tape. But rather than going through channels, he removes the tape from the archive without authorization. He then gets a call from Dent, the big man at the hive, and he goes for a meeting. Dent asks him to get the file on his desk. It was all a setup. Nick is caught by Alan rifling through Dent's files, and they find the missing tape on him. They search his house and find more planted tapes. Knowing he's been set up, he dives from the window to escape, just as Ross shows up. They escape together. At Roz's apartment, we see a man making a ridiculous climb up the outside of her apartment building. Nick, a trained agent, notices and captures the man. It is Ed, the helicopter pilot, who has superpowers owing to a mishap on a school trip where he was bitten by a radioactive lemur. <laughs> um, wait, maybe not. I think that comes later. Uh, anyhow, it is Nick, the helicopter pilot. He lives in the building and he just doesn't like using the lift to get to his upstairs apartment. He's friends with Roz. When Ed hears about Ballantyne, he wants to help too. With some high-tech gizmos, Ed, with Ross and Nick's help, break into the hive and steal the tape. She analyzes it and determines that Ballantyne was shot. A little more high-tech magic, and they clear up the audio enough to know it was at a particular train station. When they go there, they're able to pick up the short-range signal from the tracer and trace it back to Elena Johnson's house. She was the killer. When Elena leaves the house, Ed follows her, while Ross and Nick search her home. Ed discovers her meeting with Alan from the Hive. He gives her an access key to gain access to Sacros. She gives him a bomb. 
which kills him. Back at Roz's workshop, she uses more digital magic to age an old picture of Elena that she snapped in her home. The other person in the picture, when aged up, is Cottrell. When they head out, it turns out Cottrell was onto them and takes them prisoner. Yes, it turns out that Cottrell and Elena are actually partners. They're invading aliens from the planet Confusiol 4, and they've come to Earth to... No, wait, I think that comes later. Luckily, Roz was carrying a tracer, and Ed follows it just a moment too late and sees Roz's car crushed in a junkyard crusher. Luckily, Roz got out on her own at the second-to-last moment. Nick was taken elsewhere. They surveil Cottrell and plant a camera on him, watching him commit the crime and kill a fellow Hive employee. He escapes with Sacros. Nick is tied up in Elena's house. Ed rescues him as the villains flee. Using some high-tech magic, Roz and Nick trick the two villains into changing their plans, and after a car chase, they drive off an unfinished bridge and die in a horrible explosion midair, along with Sacros. And let that be a lesson to you kids. Do not let all four wheels of a car leave the ground, or a vehicle will explode. With all the evidence gone, Nick is still out of a job. But Ross has an idea. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Bugs, episode <laughs> one. Um, not knowing what to expect uh, along the way. It was, um, I, I, I enjoyed it, uh, with the exception of a few really clunky lines. Um, but, um, uh, it, it was not what I expected. It, was, uh, it, it does, it, you know, and I did not know Brian Clemens had done it, uh, until I saw his name at the opening credits and it does have a new Avengers vibe to it. Yes. Absolutely. Not old Avengers, new Avengers, which no, is a I lot agree. more grounded. I, 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 I entirely agree. I mean, I think that's one of the key points I feel about it, that Clemens describes it as being the Avengers for the 90s. It's not the Avengers, it's the new Avengers, which, you know, I don't have a problem with. It's one of the reasons that I, I watched the show in 95. It's one of the reasons I want to watch it again now, because... You can you can kind of spot the similarity, like you say. It's it's much more grounded in the sense that we see a kind of an organisation behind our intrepid trio, um, but it's also got this. Well, it's a trio, um, mm -hmm. you know, the two gentlemen and a lady trio, just yep. like the new Avengers, uh, with some of the love triangle stuff that we had in the Avengers, and you can even sort of, if you if you want to, you can sort of stretch the parallels into the fact that Nick Beckett is actually the one who is the professional spy. That mm -hmm. was always the role that Steve traditionally played in the Avengers, albeit the fact by the time you got to the new Avengers, they all are actually paid employees of some sort of government service. MI five and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Gambit, Gambit is, is, uh, is the action man. So that's, that's clearly Ed here with his helicoptering skills and um, Herdy is the female, <laughs> so uh, it's got to be Roz, right? Right, and I can see, I can see a little bit of the, uh, you know, I can see a little bit of the parallel with Purdy there as well. Roz is clearly uh, adventurous. She's, uh, you know, you can tell by her driving that she's fearless. She she gets out of the 
car on her own. So she doesn't just accept the the meek damsel in distress role at, at the end of the episode. Um, and, and I I can't cite any specific examples, but I'm reasonably sure there have been cases where Gambit pulls up just a moment too late to find out that Purdy already got out of the situation herself. So, I, yeah, I can kind of I can kind of see that. And, it, you know, it's not a bad it's not a bad balance. Uh, you, you run the risk of having too many people leading a show if you go beyond three. Well, I think. Well, I think. I think there's. A, I think there's a. There's an issue there that I think is a flaw with this particular episode. That I, I'm going to come back to, but I, I mean, I think the the other thing on the parallel to New Avengers is when, when I when I watched this and there was this hype around it when I watched it when it was airing and there was this hype around it being the Avengers for the '90s. You know, I was I was deeply deeply into the Avengers and the new Avengers, you know, it was only a couple of years after the new Avengers had been aired on BBC two, which I think was the first time I ever saw them. Um, and it seemed incredible that there could be a new show from Brian, Brian Clemens because the, the, you know, the Avengers was almost at the time. It just seems like it was from another era. It was almost two decades before bugs. So let's not reflect on the fact that bugs finished over two decades ago from where we are considering it now i'd forgotten the new avengers was that old well i remember them yeah i remember them driving around in an old tr7 i think when they were in canada from my point of view anything that was before i was born was just from another era so the as far as i was concerned the new avengers and the avengers i mean obviously i knew the new avengers was more recent but the, the difference between them was minuscule compared to the fact that they were both from prehistory so it, it it does feel weird to be looking at it from from this perspective now but in a way it's why I want I kind of wanted to revisit it because I I had a feeling that um I went into it with these expectations around it being a version of the new Avengers and although you could see these parallels I found myself coming away disappointed because it didn't have the magic of the new Avengers and this is this is this is allowing for the fact that the Avengers probably had more turkeys than it had um, actual decent episodes. <laughs> uh, yes, it's not. It that does not yet gel as a team. And there are, like I said, there were some places in along the line where I thought the dialogue really made the characters a bit more cliche than they should be and that detracts from them ed in particular I, has got a couple that yeah i mean i, th- know, I like I, well I and they say shooting video games is he supposed to be australian what is that accent i can't figure <laughs> it out <laughs> he's australian we'll, we'll come he is to australian it. we'll come to why he's australian in a minute um, okay <laughs> that bit about shooting video games it's, it's just like uh. be, 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 because I, th- I think that's part of an explanation of why there is a, a my feeling is it's not necessarily the dialogue itself, though I have some problems with the writing in this episode, but it is the performances, particularly of the two guys. And then, yeah, there is there is something magical about the, the, the dialogue in the New Avengers and, and the way they deliver it. And you almost, as you say, you almost get it with... Roz, Roz has, has the spirit of Purdy in the car chase when she's, when she's sort of effortlessly handling the, the 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 escape whilst at the same time chatting away to Beckett about you know how she 
basically um, hacked in to find out his history. Mm-hmm. It reminded me um, that there's this, there's this the whole the whole of this episode is it's not just the dialogue playing with cliches. The whole load of cliches around action movies and the the car dropping into the crusher is perhaps the the most egregious of those. I would say. But, <laughs> yeah. The new Avengers did all those cliches as well. The point about them was you almost got a commentary from the leads because they there was an irony in the way that it was done. So when you when you have and it's not a particularly good episode, but in in the Midas Touch, where they are in 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 a big car chase and they literally knock over a a, a stall. Uh, boxes of oranges go rolling across the street and then they drive through a pile of cardboard boxes but what makes that scene is that while they're engaged in this chase purdy and gambit are having a conversation about whether it was uh john houston or walter houston who directed the treasure of sierra madre and and it is that kind of ironic detachment that elevates it above the kind of cliched action stuff and I'm not sure this one quite manages to to elevate it. It's more like they what they what they are doing is just giving you the standard fare of big set piece action um, numbers. Okay, so let me preface this comment with I haven't seen the new Avengers since the late seventies, so it's been a very very long time. And I will say that my recollection of the new Avengers is that it was a disappointment. The Avengers obviously has went through many changes with time. And I think you could, you could make an argument that it went from a fairly strong grounding in reality at the beginning to a bit perhaps too far into the, the wacky by the end. And the balance is about right. And I don't think it's just because of Diana Rigg, but I think the balance is about right for me in the Diana Rigg years between, and maybe that's because that's what I came to at first. I don't know. But when you go to the new Avengers, you cut back to something that is a very much more standard spy show. Yes. But it has the name Avengers on it. And that has a certain... It's like if they call it a James Bond TV series, you could almost you could you could make two TV shows that had the identical plot. You call one Bond and you call one not and show it to different test audiences. And I would be willing to bet they'd like the Bond one better because and they would be less critical of it because it is known and familiar and they have expectations and they have things that they bring to it that they are not bringing to just a standard um, spy show. And I think you get that with the new Avengers. I think you have that expectation of what and who John Steed is and what and who his, his uh, companions, if you will, or his partners are. And so some of the disappointment there is when those things fail to materialize. But at the same time, I think you have You've already got this sort of, it's a surreal, not not the real world. And so you can get away with some of those things that you might not get away with if, if you didn't have that preconceived notion. And I think going into this, 
I have absolutely no preconceived notions. I did not know this was a spy show. <laughs> I, I didn't even have that. I mean, I was just absolutely, utterly ignorant of what it was. I could see in the media server that there were some wires and stuff going to the bug in the logo. And I'm like, oh, they could mean electronic bugs. Uh, okay, perhaps that's what they mean. I, I, I don't know. So my only clue. So... You know, we have an awful lot of this spy cliche uh, set piece, as you say, and without any frame of reference, I'm just going into it saying, well, yeah, there's some, it's a bit clunky in places. And then the other problem I have, and like, not saying I didn't enjoy it, but the other problem I had is going to be the same thing. And then we've talked about it before when we talked about Blade Runner and we talked about it, you know, in, in context of the X-Files, it's that take it into the take the photo into the lab and enhance this and do that and computerize this little doohickey thingy and bing oh we've solved the problem and those things don't date well and so looking at this it's kind of bad and <laughs> i can't tell whether or not it's them going hey in the future we'll be able to do this or they're just kind of making it up <laughs> cloth or whether that actually is what they were you know may have been state of technology at that point um and and i don't have any way to it, it's too ingrained in my personal experience about technology over the years to to not groan a little bit when you know she does the the aging or or worse pulls the the sound of the 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 tannoy out of the the train station <laughs> so clear that we can that it that we can hear it and understand what they're saying and figure out the station some of that was over too much and i guess you could say hey that's sort of science fictiony back then <laughs> but now it's just sort of yeah no um so yeah but could you do that now is that do you think you could do that no now? you couldn't no i don't think you can not so like I that think... no because you could you simply the the problem is not whether or not a, an audio recording can pull sound out of something. So if you if he'd had a tape recorder running in that train station, sure, but the telephone lines lose all the data. It's just not there, right? You you can't pull it out of a recording made from the other end. I don't I don't buy that. But it's also, uh, it's also it about the, the, you know, the signal to noise ratio. Effectively, that the, the the sound they're trying to pull out is in the distance. There's a lot of noise in the foreground, so it seemed it seemed to me something that on a basic level was obviously problematic, and they must have known that then. Oh, I would. Uh, I, I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, look at all the times that they take a photograph on not this show but you know like the x-files as said they take a photograph and it's blurred mud and they manage to pull it out and yes you can sharpen and yes you can you can do things with photographs but there is a physical limit to the amount of data that's recorded whether the film you know the the, the film grain itself or the digital pixels themselves or or think digital pixels is redundant the pixels themselves but um you know at some point you can't pull more than was originally recorded in in the picture 
and you can't pull more than could have gone over a phone line. You know, it's a it's a nice high tech digital audio tape, but it's a digital audio tape of a seriously nasty analog phone system, which has never been a great thing. I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I think that was a poor example, but I could see somebody at the time thinking in the future, we'll be able to, yeah, come on in the future, we'll be able to pull color information out of a black and white recording off of a television screen. I would have said that was nonsense. Yeah. I would have said that was nonsense. Yeah, I, I agree. I would agree, but they are, they are making the, they are making the case that the information was recorded on the original tape. So in other words, they yeah. were recording from a color image in black so and could, white. We, yeah, we could, be, we could be, we could yet be proved wrong about this. Uh, but could this you, example. for example, if you were using a black and white camera to film a color image and then transmitting it over to another black and white electronically to another black and white receiver and then recording that, see, that one was not going to get that information. If it if it's it it's it's one stage removed, it's not something they're looking for. It's not what they're transmitting along. That that's what's really I think is happening here. But anyway, that I, I'm I'm picking on it a little much. But it's just as an example. It 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 is too much. And because I don't have that, hey, this is a fantasy. Like you kind of go into the New Avengers with, or at least I went into the New Avengers with, because that's what you came out of the Avengers with. Then you. You just kind of go, eh, I don't know. I don't, I, it's a, maybe a little bit too much. Maybe they're a little too good at what they do. And it's, you know, it's but, terribly convenient that, that Ed is the helicopter pilot and also the neighbor to Roz. And how the heck did Roz answer the phone when Nick called up his tech guy? I mean, how does Roz have that number? I don't, I didn't, I didn't understand that. I thought when this, when the episode thought started, I thought he was calling someone in the hive that was in the Q branch. No. Well, yeah, obviously not. He's calling some guy he likes but, uh, to do his, his off the books tech work, but then he gets somebody else. How, do, how does that work? Well, because she, she works <laughs> that she works there and he no longer does was my interpretation. So that was a business. Yes. Cause she had another couple of, I it kind of felt like this was, maybe she's taking this on the side. Okay. I have not I have not seen an episode of this for over 20 years, so I cannot remember details of it. Whether we will whether we will see Roz running that business again, I have no idea or whether, you know, whether it just gets forgotten about or whether she explicitly moves on, I don't know. I hadn't even remembered that this was a a setup episode. And I I kind of feel like I've I have a, I have a a greater appreciation of the of the of the reason why I, th- I mean I think it's particularly it seems to be a thing in American TV shows why they don't do this setup episode at the beginning they will come in with everything up and running to give you a sense of because I guess because you have your your system of pilots to give you a sense of what a typical episode is like and then come back and do an origins episode later on in the show. And I think one of the one of the reasons why I appreciate that watching this is because this episode is lumbered with having to introduce our lead characters and provide this backstory of how they came together and on top of that try and give us some kind of entertaining plot about 
whatever this week's episode is about. So someone trying to steal a satellite jammer. And it doesn't actually manage to pull all three of those things off, in my opinion. Do do you do you recall? Uh, I'll I'll take this one bit of spoiler info if if you've got it. Do you recall if this show is arc based or strictly individual episodes? There is there is, there is I think there is some continuity in the sense that there are other recurring characters besides our leads, but I. I can't remember exactly what the character. Are. There are also cliffhangers at the end of the series, which you, you won't like, mm. especially the last series. I'm sure. <laughs> well, if they have a cliffhanger at the end of that one, I'll not like it I'll even more. I I can't remember that because I'm pretty sure I have not seen the last episode of the last series. I was going to say the reason I ask is I don't know whether this is just stupid. I'll I'll write it off as it, it just stupid or or it's meant to give us an out later on. When Cottrell and and Johnson drive off that unfinished bridge to nowhere, their car explodes as soon as it gets in the air. And and my wife, who was watching this with me, and I both instantly go, why was that car explode? And the only explanation is that the car blew up because of an external thing, like a bomb. And so... I did have some, like I say, it's either really bad direction writing FX to create that effect of the fiery car explosion, uh, which is, you know, usually wrong anyway, or it was an out to get those two and Sacros out of the car to show up again later when they start jamming satellites and our heroes have to save the day somehow. So that crossed my mind i can't answer the question because i didn't watch the show every week it's it's certainly i mean we're definitely talking about when television was episodic it's a it's a it's a saturday night show the the, the, i mean this is from the days when they hadn't quite worked out that they would be able to get the um, great british public to just slavishly watch whatever rubbish they put out if they created some sort of um competitive reality tv so they were spending money on scripted shows and not only that but that you know a scripted show in this case where there's quite a lot of um big explosions and special effects you know mm-hmm. helicopter chases that that that's the draw that's that's the kind it's a saturday night spectacle and i think i i mean I'm not giving you any spoilers here because I genuinely don't know the answer. I think what we are seeing when that car explodes going off a bridge is this is what happened, and I think continued to happen for some time afterwards, but this is what happened in the 90s whenever a car crashed. It would instantly burst into flames. Every single car that crashed anywhere, and this is just extrapolating that to one step of ridiculousness further. And, 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 you know, not just the 90s. I, you can watch all the way back into the 50s on American television. When a car goes off a cliff, when it reaches the bottom, it explodes and bursts into flame, which it would not do under 99% of the chances. You know, it just it just doesn't happen, but it's for dramatic effect. So I'm used to cars ridiculously exploding. It, as you say, they extrapolated one step too far and it just drives off of a bridge 
and explodes before it even hits the ground. And that part was a little suspicious. But on the other hand, I thought it could just be we're showing this cool midair explosion to keep you glued to your sets. That did. I fear it was. I, yeah. So the other thing that, that uh, appears to be the case from the way this episode ends is it sounds like Roz wants to set up her own business with the two of them. We, we don't actually go into that detail. And then they cut completely to a different scene uh, that does not resolve that situation in any way, shape or form. But with, with Sacros destroyed and Cottrell dead and Alan dead and uh, Johnson dead and, you know, everything destroyed. Roz basically says something to the effect of, well, you guess you can't get your job back at Hive. And I'm thinking, why not? What, what, why not? I mean, they had a camera on Cottrell when he committed a murder <laughs> in, in, the, in the room. And surely they were recording that. I, I th- there, are, there, are, there are multiple I mean, if that holes, doesn't prove who the bad it? guy was. In yeah. the writing here, there is a possible explanation, which is simply that Beckett himself is. Th- 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 there are a list. There are a list of misdemeanors that Ross lists, and and so Beckett is is perhaps already in a tenuous position in terms of his employment at the Hive. The fact that he failed to recover Sacross, or you know, was was part of its destruction, may mean. Or, or turn that around if you like. If he had recovered Sacros and been able to go back triumphantly with it, then it would have been very difficult for them to refuse to keep him on. So that's a possibility. But I really don't know because, and again, this goes back to the problem I have with the fact they're trying to do too much in this episode. We don't really get any kind of any kind of sense of what Beckett's status is in the Hive. There's very little actually on anything about whether he likes the job there mm-hmm. what, uh, what the job is what yeah what who the, the hive is, is what what the what the relationships he has with the other people and of course that that's important too because when we get i mean i was kind of fine with with alan's the security guy being the the leak on the inside and with him setting back it up but when we get what is obviously supposed to be a big twist with Cottrell turning out to be a bad guy. The problem I had with that was the the twist hadn't been earned and it had no impact because we didn't really know much about Cottrell in the first place. So so what if he's the bad guy? It's unnecessary. I gotta say the bigger twist for me was because the second he handed him the tape and Cottrell said, all right, I'll uh, file this and uh, ask the security guy to talk about it. That was the moment I turned to my wife and I said, he's the leak. He's the bad guy. So from the moment we met him, I was on the assumption and the mindset that Cottrell was the bad guy. And when they showed Alan taking a position of being the bad guy, I was a little surprised. And so I w- you could call that the twist. Oh, it's not the guy I thought it was. And then I'm like, nah, I bet it's both of them. <laughs> so it didn't, it wasn't a twist at all. It, it, it just, they didn't earn it because I, I saw through it as transparent as day. Um, his actions were just 
his actions were just way too wrong with the uh when he's brought something's happened to an agent and he just goes yeah all right well let me have the tape whatever i guess if you're worried i'll talk to somebody it's like wow if that isn't if that isn't bad guy telegraphing i don't know what is so yeah yeah and and you know i don't know if the hive even plays part in the rest of the series i mean if he's gone if he's gone uh uh private then that could be the last we ever see of them so they may be just completely disposable i don't know i don't know i mean they did they did mention a character named dan you've got to recognize that what do we know about the hive because we know about um the security guy we know about cultural um we know about ballantine there's dent they're all dead a character we didn't see dent dent yes but he appears to be higher up the food chain than cottrell so i mean they invented a character we didn't even (laughs) you know we didn't need in the episode so i assume dent might show up at some point even if it's just a chastise nick or something i I don't know but and it was confusing because they did not give names so you know i i usually have a point in my ep in my notes when i'm watching an episode where i'll jot the guy's name down when i hear the guy's name or gal's name and and i noticed i did not catch cottrell i got the name alan on the security guy, but I could not put Alan and Alan, the man together till later in the episode, even though we were introduced to him before, you know, so Cottrell mentions, I'll, I'll let Alan hear this tape. Then we see Nick break into the thing and a guy is in the security monitoring. And they go, oh, I'll go check that out. It's like, is that Alan? How would I know that was Alan? I did not know until later on. I don't think I got, I may have, you know, Ballantyne, I got right up the front. She's like, oh, he must be important. <laughs> it's like, he'll be around. He must be the star. I seriously thought he was a, a a much higher level character in the series. And then, heck, Catrellas, I think three quarters of the way through the episode before I even got his name. So, yeah, it's just, it was kind of muddled in that respect. So the, the question um, for me then, with... The with the choice of casting being, I think, an issue in how successful this show is in doing the kind of new Avengers thing. Because I, I mean, obviously, I think you know Joanna Lumley, um, brilliant casting, and actually, Gareth Hunt is really good in the new Avengers. I, 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 when I first discovered the show, and I thought that can't be the Nescafe guy, the cheesy Nescafe guy. He's wonderful. Um, I came back to this thinking one of the reasons why maybe I didn't warm to the show way back when is because in casting it, they were clearly doing some, I not quite say stunt casting, but they, they're obviously going for this big Saturday night pull and they've got, to, they've got to get the numbers. And so they're going to go for the television audiences that are the largest by giving them something that they're familiar with. So they pull soap stars. And I really hated soaps. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. I, I, even even the soap that uh, Jay Griffiths comes from, which I later became obsessed with. 
Which is that one? Uh, the Bill. Which character is that? Uh, she's play, she's play, oh, she's playing um, Roz. She's playing Roz. Okay, so I, I I'm going to say I've not seen the Bill, but that is the only uh, actor in this series that I looked at and I said I've seen her somewhere. The Zygon Invasion, working for Unit. Okay, well that would that would uh, that could be. I don't know, but she was she was instantly familiar to me, and I'm like, I've seen her somewhere, but I don't know. By this point, she'd also been in Between the Lines, which was one of again one of my favourite shows when it aired in the early nineties. She did a, she did a stint in the Bill, which I I I don't think I watched it at all at that point, so I wasn't particularly familiar with it. But it, it's actually it's the it's the other guy. So you're wondering why Ed is Australian. The answer is because they've cast a. An ex-Neighbours actor, because Neighbours was huge on mm-hmm. BBC One at that time. I don't know whether you get that in the states, but it's a very kind of quite uh, sort of twee homey. The it's everybody, everybody needs good neighbours in and out of each other's houses, in and out of each other's beds. We, we don't get anything that's twee in the United States. We don't even have that word. <laughs> well, I'm not sure um, is the right word because it's not a very Australian word. But, but, but this is this, this is this is where it's coming from. So this so this is you know this was a, this was a daily soap every day, um, twenty five to six on BBC One. They would show an episode of Neighbours, and Craig McLaughlin was one of the stars who I guess must have at the around the time of Bugs just. Well, we got it a few months, if not longer, behind, but must have just come off the show, and therefore would probably have been a a pull for you know the the target BBC One audience at the time. I have uh, I've heard of Neighbours. Um, I, I'm sure I've seen some publicity shots from Neighbours. Um, you do occasionally hear about somebody who's formerly on Neighbours at, because that's a as you say, that's a pull, but I'm sure I've never seen an episode. But then I've never seen, apart from the Doctor Who thing, I've never seen an episode of, of EastEnders either. So, you know, not my genre, but um, uh, unless it's got vampires in it. We, we're gonna get, we can come back to EastEnders in a minute. Um, we are going to go to another soap because uh, Jesse Birdsall was one of the stars and possibly... You'd say he managed to break out, although I really don't know what he's done since Bugs. But there was a a short-lived soap a couple of years before Bugs aired, and you don't get new soaps very often. So you know, BBC BBC One had its EastEnders, ITV had its Coronation Street, Channel Four had its Brookside. BBC, in their wisdom, decided that they wanted a new soap and that they would create one set in. Spain and telling the stories of various off uh, expat characters, um, which to me, mind you, I hated soaps, but it seems like a pretty disastrous idea. And indeed, it was a massive embarrassment for the BBC. And I remember at the time making a note of the name of the producer, thinking they really can't know much about popular television, whoever they are, this Verity Lambert. <laughs> but um, Jesse Birdsall was the, was the, was I think, I think one of the kind of you know the, the well i say this you won't know nasty nick type characters i do know who not nasty nick is 
Okay, okay. So the well, I mean that I that I think explains the 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 reason for casting Jesse Birdsell because I think you know they were they were looking at the the wreck of El Dorado, which had been beached a couple of couple of years before bugs i should think and going well we could you know we could rescue him from this because he has he has more of a following than the, than the show itself the hope i had coming back to it was thinking these are these are popular actors who are obviously well loved by the audiences on their their shows in the time and i'm a snob and so i probably decided i was not going to enjoy their performances regardless rewatching it I do think that they just don't have the don't have the kind of lightness, the, the wit. Particularly Jesse Birdsell, actually. I mean, I thought Craig McLaughlin wasn't bad, but the sense you get from from Jay Griffiths is that she, well, of her character, of the, of the way she's playing Roz, is that is that Roz is enjoying herself. Yeah, and you enjoy watching her enjoying herself. And Ed, at certain points, certainly seems to enjoy himself, although he does seem to get sort of quite bad tempered sometimes and i don't know beckett just seems to be perpetually miserable and it's not that much fun yeah. to watch him well he's not having a great day to be fair he's not so, but I mean, it, in, it could be a... in in some ways you could say well Roz isn't having a great day in the sense that she's just agreed to do a small job on a dat tape for this guy and suddenly she's in a full-scale car chase but she manages to have a good day anyway yeah, yeah. Just just out of uh, curiosity, since you mentioned you didn't know what Birdsell had done, if anything, after uh, thing, I was looking him up on the on IMDb, and he apparently is f- a fairly regular regular. I think he's done some of the kind of soapy type things like Holby's Eight episodes of As If, 11 episodes of The Bill, 24 episodes of Footballers' Wives. Oh, well, that uh, yeah. 107 episodes of Hollyoaks. Hollyoaks, yeah. 12 episodes of Holby City, and those are all post bugs. I'm I'm sure I'm sure he's done I'm sure he's done well, but he does possibly better in the kinds of things that I don't like. I certainly can't remember seeing him in anything else. Fair enough. Um I I don't know. They're they're going to take some time uh for them to settle in. Uh I guess Well, yeah, I said I, I, I yes, I I certainly hope we get a different type of performance. And I, I, I'm not really criticising, I'm not really criticising them as actors. What I'm criticising them is, what I'm criticising, I think, is on the face of it, the casting in this episode. And, you know, mm-hmm. possibly there's an element too of the, the direction because it would be more fun to watch if you cast an actor who had the kind of charisma of a, a Neil Pearson or someone like that. And you directed them to, to to kind of play up the the entertaining side of it, the, the the lighthearted side of it. Because that's the kind of show this fundamentally is. So that kind of brings to mind the the odd ball ending of the episode. You know, Roz they they just said the explosion and said, Well, you know, I I've got a business proposition for you and, and maybe and Ed too, and then we cut, and of course, like that's done. We're done. That that should have been the end of the episode, but instead, or there should have been something subsequently following that up that had something to do with that moment, but it didn't. They switch to her in her apartment, and they deliver a present to her, 
which is the crushed up remains of her car, which I argue that Ed and Nick would not physically be capable of lifting to put on her table, nor or the table be strong enough to withhold even a little mini like that. I just don't think it, but, but the reason I bring it up apart from that is that it has a very forced, here's our comedy end of the moment, end of the episode. Don't you recognize what it is? Um, no. It's the Avengers tag scene. It's, it's yeah, that, oh it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I get. Yeah, I get what you're. I get what you're saying. Except that the Avengers tag scenes were okay, and this one was not. But I, yes, <laughs> so, I think that's in part because it is a different style. What we're saying is this is the new Avengers, not the Avengers, and also that the combination of acting and directing is not the light-hearted and um, comedic approach that would let you sell a scene like that. And they don't have they don't have the right music. You know, you cut into the Avengers tagging. You know that this is a lighthearted, whimsical scene. You don't get that from here. You're going straight on from I have a business proposition to, oh, you bought me a present. And it's my car, which you couldn't have lifted. And and it, I, it's like that couldn't happen. And that's not really funny. And frankly, that's a that's an awful thing to do to her. <laughs> yes. Too. Yes. It's it's not nice either, and so it just really didn't work as a closing scene. And I yes, I recognized it after I watched it, just kind of a mouth agape, going, "I cannot believe they thought that was the appropriate thing to do. What a pair of clods!" And and then I'm like, "Oh, this was supposed to be a joke. I get it." Not funny, but okay. I get it. This was supposed to be the everyone laughs and the camera freezes and <laughs> and and scene, but <laughs> police squad style. Yeah, but no, did not did not work. Did not fly. And again, because if this show is supposed to be grounded in reality, which I you know I I there's nothing to tell me that it isn't other than the the, the high tech gizmoy stuff which as i say you can't really tell if they're portraying that as impossible we're just we're just doing this because that's what it takes and it's kind of funny or they're actually going yeah we'll be able to do this in 15 years kind of thing i can't tell uh, and and so it, it there's there's definitely some fundamental fundamental uh, problems with this particular episode i found the episode much more entertaining at the beginning that so i mean some somehow it didn't manage to pay off it took it i mean i didn't like i say the, the, it started taking twists that seemed to be kind of unearned it started to the the scenes themselves started to feel a bit disjointed it was like why why is Roz in the car alone why you know because we don't get to see we 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 see that both um, Ros and, and Beckett are being held at gunpoint by Cottrell, but we don't get to see then what happens that results in, in Ros being in the car alone, which means we don't know why Cottrell and the woman have hung on to Beckett. What's the, the purpose behind that? And I'm yeah. not sure I ever found out what the purpose behind that they was. They definitely did not say why they did it. My guess is is that they were going to use Beckett as a scapegoat, kill him and okay. 
they so at some point they said they seem to they seem to lose interest in actually joining those dots and explaining things so the episode itself works as a it's it's fundamentally a series of set pieces you've got the big helicopter chase at the beginning you've got the you know the car chase in the middle you've got the the um whatever you call it pa- uh, motorized paraglider um scenes or you know all of that goes very well and then it's it kind of starts to tail off and by the time you get to the end the ending car chase is much inferior to to the one we had at the beginning and the plot has started unraveling in the sense that they don't seem to be explaining what's going on anymore i didn't understand why you know from a, a plotting point of view why it was important that that cottrell was the the bad guy because i didn't i didn't care about him it it didn't even seem to matter very much why they killed alan at that point because why did they need to why did they need to oh and how stupid is he well indeed indeed and and, and <laughs> I mean, then where, where's and my get... money i just gave you the pass where's my money don't worry you'll get it okay when i get it you get the pass i i i think i think when you're a crook that's kind of you don't give them stuff on account. But then yeah. she goes, oh, but I, I brought you this neatly pra- neatly packed present, which is ticking. <laughs> and <laughs> it wasn't ticking when she handed it to him, but it was ticking just before it went off. And, and oh, don't open it now. Why <laughs> like, was it ticking? Really? It was ticking right before it blew up. But why? I don't know. I assume it was a time bomb. <laughs> well, we saw her remotely detonate it. Did she? I thought we did. I was not sure, but when they cut back to him just before it exploded, uh, there was definitely a ticking going on, coming from from somewhere. I'm like, what is that ticking? Is that the? Surely he didn't stick a ticking wrapped package. Please don't open it. By the way, I'm heading off to the ladies' room for a few minutes. Into his pocket. It, it it did. I mean, it did. I I mentioned all this because we were chatting about how the 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 tag scene didn't. You know, it was. It was poor, and that just felt to me part of a, a kind of general downturn in quality in the writing through the episode. And one of the things that I was wondering about was, this is based on a story by Brian Clemens, this episode. It's written by another writer, and I was wondering what what Brian Clemens actually handed over. Which is not to say that he never wrote a turkey. Uh, there were some awful awful episodes of the Avengers and the new Avengers that he wrote as well as some of the most brilliant ones but it struck me that this just wasn't even the even the poor stuff that that Clemens did it was it was more commonly bad taste than bad construction and this was not crafted well Mm. Duncan Gould I, I looked up and it's interesting that he is writing on a I don't know anything about him he's writing on a big expensive primetime bbc one show a new show a vehicle for three soap stars and as far as i can see from imdb the sole credits that he has to his name at this point are three episodes of eastenders mm-hmm. just seems odd it it is um and he used to be an actor he will be back, so we can we can judge him in a couple of episodes' time on on the strength of uh, two pieces of work rather than just this one. Hmm. 
Yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot of professional credits afterwards either, except for 22 episodes of The Bill. He did, he did, I noticed he did work on uh, CI5, which I assume Clemens had some involvement in. One episode. So I, I don't have anything. Do you have anything specific on the, the episode? Well, I think the other, the other thing, I mean, I kind of, I'm sort of having a go at the show um, for disappointing me with, with this episode. You know, I, was ho- I was coming back to it, hoping it would be much better. So I'm sort of thinking, yeah, and, and another thing, and another thing. <laughs> when you make a show like like this, you know, the the Avengers, Sidney Newman famously said, it was Sidney Newman who said it? I think I think it was. Um, I'm pretty sure it was he who named it. He said the Avengers, he doesn't know what it means. It just sounds like a great title, which, of course, it does. And it, no one really knows what the Avengers means. I mean, even if you know the the plot and the fact that um, of the David pilot. Keel, David yeah. Keel is avenging his fiance's death in the in the pilot episode, that doesn't really make sense because Steed isn't an Avenger. So, but anyway, it's the point is it's a great title, and uh, and so if you're going to do the new Avengers, then obviously you're going to use use the title again in some form. Bugs, Bugs is the title of this show. Yeah. Yeah. What? Now, obviously, the the USP of the show is that it is. I mean, I was quite surprised when you when you you came with this show and said it's the next big sci-fi show in British yeah. television after Star Cops because I was thinking, hang on a minute, it's not actually sci-fi. I mean, okay, fair enough. That this was where I was going next. <laughs> there are sci-fi elements in it, um, but they are they are that very peripheral kind of. You know, when I was breaking down, because I don't think The Avengers is sci-fi, but there are some episodes that are sci-fi, and actually, because it's a long-running show, they're sci-fi in various forms. But the most common type of sci-fi episode in The Avengers is this kind of, what I would call, engineering-fi, where they take a concept, and it's similar in in some of the James Bond stuff, um, sometimes quite effectively, like the underwater breather in Thunderball, sometimes mm. absolutely catastrophically disastrously like the invisible car in die another day but it is this idea that you can you can take current technology and you can extrapolate it to sort of the day after tomorrow when it will do cool things it's almost like stuff that stuff that will become commonplace but at the minute it's so special it's not even in in mass production Mm. and yeah tomorrow's world basically and i kind of like that concept Mm. i would never have classified the avengers as sci-fi but as you say there are a few episodes that are could be genuinely called sci-fi i would call the avengers and qualifications the show reinvented itself every few years and um you know, again, towards the end, towards the part of the Avengers that is far more familiar to me, I think you could safely call it a sort of fantasy spy caper. Uh, it just, it does not take itself... Quite, quite fantastic. It doesn't take itself seriously enough to be the real world. I mean, you know, let's go down to the recording of clowns and find all the eggs that have their registered makeup stored on them you know it it's it's a it's a very bizarre it's a surreal world 
that it yes. happens in. And so, you know, it's fantasy, but then, you know, Jeeves and Worcester is fantasy. It's well, it's you not, could make the argument that James like Bond is fantasy. All fiction is in a way is a fantasy because it's not yes. real. But in other words, it is it is existing in a it is existing in a world that is not meant to approximate the real world. Yes. Uh, anyway, but the new Avengers lost that. And I, that's part of the reason that I I would never think of the new Avengers as science fiction, despite Hitler coming back. And, you know, it, it just it isn't. It isn't. They 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 pulled that aspect out of it and grounded it more, I and think. so I wouldn't have called the new. I wouldn't have. The I wouldn't call the new Avengers fantasy. It, I mean, there are definitely sci- sci-fi elements in in the new Avengers, but remembering, I haven't seen it since the late seventies. No, so. but the, you know, they, they there is a giant rat in the sewers because some boffin poured down his his magical um, formula. That is the exception the than the rule, though. Well, no, every, 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 there is some sleeping gas that puts a whole section of London to sleep. There, there's, a, there's an entire building that is controlled by artificial intelligence. But, it, I mean, that, but that again, is an example, I think, of this kind of engineering fiction because it's yeah. almost like the building itself has... It's Siri plus a few pneumatic controls. And it, it's... It's that episode of The X-Files. But uh, yeah, yes, yes, the X Files did it, did, cut, ripped it off. But it's you know it's taken them forty something years, uh, or it's no, it's taken us forty something years to catch up with the Avengers, and I think that is the kind of thing that is happening in Bugs. The idea is that they they want it, they they basically want to fill it with technology that looks cool. It is essentially the complete antithesis of Doomwatch. Mm. Anyway, I guess where I'm getting at is that had I, you know, not been prefaced with uh, with that uh, potentially wrong, completely and absolutely potentially wrong bit of writing on Wikipedia, I fully and freely admit it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, is is normally a relatively uh, authoritative source, surprisingly enough. But, um, you know, if I'd watched this episode... Never in a million years would I have considered it for for doing. But uh, yeah, I just I, I was completely surprised by it. And in the sort of really, we should have done Crime Traveler instead. Um, well, I did say <laughs> I did say I think I think you can make I think you can make the case that there there, there are some science fiction elements within this. And and I do think the contrast with Doomwatch is interesting because if you look at Zakros as being the, the the primary sci-fi MacGuffin in this. And there is there is no doubt that there may there may be technological satellite jammers, I don't know, but there is no doubt in my mind that even now such a thing does not exist that you can fit in a suitcase that size. Fair enough. They they take the attitude to that technology that this is still a jolly useful thing. The only problem with the technology is that certain ne'er-do-wells are getting their hands on it. So this is absolutely not the plastic eaters. All of the all of the technology in this is essentially an unqualified good. They they embrace it entirely. They do not give a fig about such things as privacy because they're busy hacking into each other's um, personnel file. Mm-hmm. And because it's 
because it's a show called Bugs that's all about the technology, I thought I would keep track of the technology that we get in here. So obviously, we have SACROS, the satellite jamming suitcase. We have a DAT recorder. Now, those things mm. are undoubtedly the future. You mark my words. <laughs> a DAT tape, yes. <laughs> we have... We have, a, we have a cordless phone. That would have been pretty sexy in 1995, maybe. The uh, eavesdropping mic in the shape of pen. I thought that was actually still quite cool, but probably wouldn't have been especially groundbreaking. They did have a, another gun mic later in the episode. There was the, the powered paraglider. I'm pretty sure they're real. Yeah, they are. And that was pretty cool. Little uh, burglary gadget for bypassing the contacts pretty sure that's something um the interesting one and you could say this is pretty boring technology but what's interesting for me is how they did it the wireless head cam that ed was wearing while he was riding around in his parrot paraglider yeah and actually for that matter the poppy cam in yeah the, the poppy cam is pretty impressive considering the size that it had to be to transmit exactly and the fact that people were accepting poppies lively and unsuspiciously in a show that was broadcast in April, but never mind that. Um, the, <laughs> the, I was the, wondering about that. Is this only once a year? It's like, is it? Did this air at the right time of year for that to work? Completely not. No, I had to look it up because I thought oh, that's interesting. They obviously they obviously knew this was going to go out in November. No, but you know, you know, now I, I was going to say that that. At least in American television, with the exception of Christmas and occasionally Thanksgiving, there is utterly no regard for the time of year. You know, it, it, when 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 I watched um, uh, the Doctor Who episode where Amy got married and, and you know, the, that whole season, and I realized that they were actually counting down to the day the episode was going to air on the year the episode was going to like, wow, I am suitably impressed. With that, that that's amazing that they would do that, that they would go to that much trouble, uh, because obviously they don't in American television they don't care because they're going to syndicate it. It's going to air, you know, day after day after day, and it's never going to be the right time of year when you're watching it in reruns. So I guess that's the difference between expecting well, a show to be seen on first run as opposed to expecting to be milking the cash cow for 50 years to come. Though even um, then, you don't necessarily know when the show is going to air. I mean, Doctor Who is a particularly special case. Um, the other thing that springs to mind, because it's a it's another recent thing, was the fact that um, Ghostwatch was packed with pumpkins and apples for bobbing and things in the hope that they would manage to get it scheduled for Halloween. But that wasn't necessarily a, a given. And so I guess when they were making this, they didn't necessarily know it would go out in April. So maybe we should maybe we should be a bit lenient on that particular point. What what I thought was interesting about the the well the poppy cam in particular is that with certain of these technologies you can see them faking it on screen. I mean very easily because they've got they've got the little um oh, i love those things the little sort of whatever it would be three three inch casio tv and mm -hmm. they've probably got a poppy i mean literally just just a just a poppy and all they're doing is they're feeding a video signal into the little casio tv that they filmed from where the poppy 
would be. And we believed that it's coming from a wireless signal, which at the time would have been, you know, it would have been quite a, a remarkable feat of miniaturization when you think about the the fact that you had not only a radio transmitter in that thing, but you also had to have sufficient battery power to provide enough of uh, of a signal to transmit over the distance that it was transmitting. And it's given battery technology that's holding us back. Well, yes, I mean, but battery technology has come on a colossal amount in the last quarter of a century since this was aired. Sure, sure, but it's still holding us back. It's, battery technology is the big is the big barrier at the moment. That's why that's there's so much research in that area. It's like if they can get batteries down, it is. But to but to 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 power something that could do what that what even that head cam could do, I I would guess you'd probably need a, a battery the size of Sacros. Small uh, small nuclear reactor is what they've got going there. So that that is the just a little miniature atom burning some fuel. I mean the the other the other one where they were clearly faking it, which you've you've alluded to, was the um was the, the sound separation technology, mm. which was actually a graphic equalizer and a mixing desk. And wouldn't mm-hmm. have done what it was supposed to do at all. They've just they've completely faked that up. Uh there's a yeah. there's a tracer so that's Supposedly, Ros can keep track of where Ed is, but actually, Ed can keep track of where Ros's car has got crashed. I and I guess that's the bug that gives the the show its title. One of the bugs. See, now I've kind of figured that maybe, maybe when they open their business next week, they're going to call it Bugs. So Ros will be Bugs. You know that that that's that's my guess. Uh, With regards to that tracer, I just want to point out one kludgy bit in the dialogue here. Take this tracer, Ed. Tracer? I don't need a tracer to find my way home. I'm wearing big boy pants. And hands it back. And I'm like, A, it's not for you to find your way home, dummy. And B, check off tracer. Check off tracer. <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> very much so. But I, I thought that was really weird when he, he refused that. It was just like, really? What? Why? <laughs> Do you not understand what it's for? It's so they can find you when you get captured by the bad guys or killed. Well, I think he's saying he's not going to get captured, but he said he I, he. But he specifically said, "I can find my way back." I'm a I'm in big boy pants. So he was acting as if he was saying it was to help him not get lost. And I didn't get that was the purpose of the tracer but anyway it's just, well it's bad dialogue certainly not sat that you've alluded to the the computer aging i've noted that when they were discussing it beckett mentions the fact that it's the same computer aging software that is running on their quote mainframe yeah i, li- I like i like the way they're they're up with the futuristic terminology there i know it should have been a mid-range by that point um yeah <laughs> And the it'll final... just take a few minutes. That was the part that cracked me up on that one. <laughs> the fine, the final um, piece of technology, which I think I think we can safely put in science fiction in 1995, is the hey, I just need to record a snippet of this guy's dialogue, and I can do a complete voice synthesizer. Oh yeah, yeah, that one was with live processing. Yes, with live processing. Yeah, 
hard, hard to see. Yeah. Again, it's hard to look at that and go, did they really think that was going to happen? Or are they just using it as a MacGuffin? I, I don't know. Well, I suppose we should probably leave it at that. I think this one might have run, might ultimately run a little long. Only the listener will know because who knows what it'll be like by the time I'm done editing it. But unless you have anything else that's just burning to pick on, we can always pick it up next time if no, uh, we I'm, have to. I'm done. You picked out? Okay. <laughs> well, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series, Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, his name is Harmon. He's a man. He's wanted. He's a wanted man. In fact, he's the most wanted man on Star Hunter Redux. Come join the conversation.